Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 50. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Everybody, welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. The fellows covered for me last week. I think Trey, what did you say? I had like an apartment emergency or something like that. Uh, I had water that was leaking under my baseboards. It was not a lot of fun, but the fellows picked me up. Uh, I'm back here. Tonight with you guys to break down the Big Ten West. Fellas, you know, how, how are we doing? There was a lot of research that went into the Big Ten West. Our notes are, I'm, I'm looking at over, what, 21 pages of notes right now? Yeah, man, you missed a heck of a show. We had a lot of fun breaking down that division. It, it's going to be a barn burner of a division. And, you know, we probably all agree at who's going to come out on top in Ohio State. I think I tease that they're probably my national champion prediction as of July 20th. But, man, this Big Ten West is going to be really interesting, too. There's a lot of teams that need to prove, um, whether it's a coach extension, whether it's deciding if that's the coach of the future or the coach of the current. A lot of teams have a lot to prove on this side of the conference as well. So it's fascinating also. Yeah, last time we talked and we talked kind of how you know, that side of the Big Ten is real predictable. There's kind of some tiers, and, you know, maybe we're confused about, okay, is it going to be Michigan, too, or is it going to be Penn State, too? But, you know, this Big Ten West, it's a lot more random, I think, in terms of how this could end up. And I think there's so many variables where, you know, if this team goes up or this team goes down, then things could go really, really sideways in a hurry for this division. So I'm excited to break this one down. I tell you what, the Big Ten West conference schedule and I think this is not more evident than Wisconsin's schedule to end the season. It's going to be must-watch TV. If these teams are halfway decent and the Big Ten West crown truly comes down to maybe the last week of the season, which I think it very well might, I mean, get to a TV. Big Noon Saturday is going to be popping. So uh, certainly <laughs> can't wait for that. We're going to break all this down. Uh, of course, as always, head over to our social channels. Uh, if you have not already followed at 3TechPod on the Twitter and Instagram, and uh, write in to the show as well, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you would like your voice heard, it certainly seems like these previews uh, so far have been very popular. The numbers are, are very, very consistent. We're getting some new listeners to jump on board as well. The show continues to grow and roll down the tracks, gentlemen. So... With all of that being said, 
A lot of information to get through tonight. Let's go ahead and dive into the first of these Big Ten West schools. And I'll lead us off with Illinois. State of the program is really interesting for Illinois. I think it's going to be that way for a lot of these Big Ten West schools. Illinois made a memorable kickoff to the chaotic 2021 season by upsetting Nebraska in the most entertaining week zero game maybe of all time. Uh, it marked Brett Bielema's first game in his return to coaching in the Midwest, and one of the first times in ages that Illinois actually garnered some sort of national attention. Uh, now, the team didn't exactly you know, follow through on that peak of riding high. They go 5-7, and seven, but they did pull off two top 20 upsets. First over number 7, Penn State, in what was the best-slash-worst nine-overtime game oh. of all time. And then they bludgeoned Minnesota in a defensive submission in a 14-6 to win. Tanner Morgan was sacked six times in that game, and he threw two picks, uh, which just was a, a big stone in the way of rowing the boat. Uh, the downside of that season, though, ultimately that kept them out of a bowl game, they got blown out by Virginia and then Wisconsin, which I'm going to get to at the very end of the show. It was a historically bad offense for Wisconsin, and Illinois just got shellacked by them. So that added to the pain of losses to UTSA, to Maryland, to Purdue, to Rutgers of all teams, and Iowa. Now, there's no doubt the Illinois, uh, the Illini, I should say, took a solid step last season, but finding an offensive rhythm and finishing games has to be the priority here in year two. Program has only reached two bowl games in the last decade, and, I mean, let's be honest, has even farther to go if they want to become a contender in the Big Ten West. So, offense for 2022, Tony Peterson, he's been ejected as the offensive coordinator. He commanded an offense last year that ranked T115 in points per game. That's tied for 115th if you aren't an F1 fan. And 112 in total offense. So, oh. the... the Offense did not go boom very many times last year. Uh, Barry Looney Jr. is coming in. He's the former UTSA offensive coordinator, and he picks up the pace of the offense while still running the pro-style scheme. At least that's the vision, right? So Bielema was very emphatic last year. He felt like the offense got stuck in the mud far too often. They want to pick up that tempo, and they have a new quarterback to do it. Quarterback transfer Tommy DeVito comes in from Syracuse. Uh, he certainly showed out for the Illini in the spring game. They do have Art Sikowski, who's the former Rutgers transfer. He's also back for a second year in Illinois. But last year it was pretty clear after Brandon Peters got hurt that Sikowski's ceiling isn't really that high. Um, so I think DeVito certainly offers them a chance to improve. Um, Sikowski also missed the entire spring, uh, spring with arm and shoulder surgery, so it really hasn't even been a competition. Running game was the clear engine that drove the offense last year. Chase Brown's back after a 1,000-yard campaign and nearly six yards per carry. If there was one guy that you would hear about from the Illini in 2021, it's running back Chase Brown. So huge that he's back and didn't transfer out of the program. Uh, Josh McCray will be the first guy to rotate in. He had over 500 yards last season as well. So a decent one-two punch for the Illini. Uh, out wide, Isaiah Williams, Casey Washington – are critical returners for a team that really lacks playmakers and, and overall depth at the receiver position. Williams had 47 catches for 525 yards and four touchdowns last year. It was good for third in the country among Power 5 freshmen. 
Uh, and then they've got tall boy Pat Bryant. He's 6'3", could, could provide a big body out wide who can utilize his catch radius. So they've got speed. They've got some size. Overall, Tommy DeVito should have some weapons to work with. Inside at tight end, Luke Ford's back. He started all 12 games last year. Nearly decided to go to the draft, did some research, and you know, honestly, he did the smart thing, which I wish a lot of guys would do. Realized, hey, I'm not going to go you know, between the fifth and sixth rounds, so I'm going to come back to school. Let's not risk it. Let's go ahead, improve our stock, come back for a final season. On the offensive line, they lose two starters to the draft, but uh, Alex Klazuski, I believe is how you say that, is back. He's got 52 starts under his belt, which is most in the country, and will play one of the tackle slots, and then they've got Alex Philstrom to handle center. The other three returners on this offensive line have to divvy up the, the last three spots, and those were not decided after spring ball, so TBD on how the starting five for the Illini look, but ultimately some nice experience up front. Hopefully they can keep DeVito upright, unlike what they were able to do last year, which was get Brandon Peters nearly killed, and Sikowski bounced off the ground like a rubber ball. Defensively, Ryan uh, Walters is back for his second year as the DC. He's got some talent to work with in 2022, and uh, this made me chuckle as I was reading the preview. Uh, Illinois is advertising for the law firm of Newton and Randolph. Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph Jr. are two big boys up front who combined for 18 starts last year, 92 tackles, 9.5 tackles for loss, and seven sacks. Number of returners are competing for playing time, including Tayra Edwards, who transfers in from Northwestern. Uh, the Illini lost their two outside linebackers last season, which was a lot of their experience, kind of the heart and soul. Is I mean, look, it's it's Big Ten football. The linebackers are the heart and soul of a lot of these defenses, uh, but they do have their replacements ready to go. Seth Coleman and Zeke Holmes are the two guys that are going to take up on the edge. Alec Bryant transfers in from Virginia Tech. He's also got an immediate shot to start as well, or at least rotate in out, outside backer. Inside, Tariq Barnes and Calvin Hart Jr. are both back, which is huge for the Illini. Hart was conference defender of the week after their upset win of the Cornhuskers in Week 0, but he literally also tore his ACL late in the fourth quarter of that game, so he you know, has like the best weekend of his career but doesn't even get to finish the game and was out for the rest of the season with that torn ACL. So a healthy Hart Jr. is huge for them. Rangy athlete Devin Witherspoon is back as cornerback one for Illinois. Started 10 games last year and broke up nine passes. So uh, at least quality at one cornerback position. Tavion Nicholson probably lines up on the other side, but he's just he's young. He's just got eight games played and two starts in his career. Now, uh, fun fact Terrell Jennings transfers in, grad transfers in from Minnesota State. So shout out D2 Athletics, first of all, the Mavericks of Minnesota State, who uh, <laughs> I got to watch play against my team, my last stop uh, in a college basketball tournament. Salty little team. Safety, they've got Sidney Brown coming back as well. He's the team's leading tackler. And the big stat to know here, Illinois was extremely stingy in the red zone last year, which course we all think illinois football when we think red zone defense they allowed touchdowns on just 46 percent of red zone drives that ranked 12th in the fbs so not starting from ground zero uh on the defensive side but goodness that offense has got to figure it out floor and ceiling here according to bet online who again provides all the over-unders for these previews not a sponsor could be the over-under is set at four and a half 
I think there's a chance that Illinois takes a step forward this year, but uh, honestly, like looking at the schedule, it's so brutal. Uh, I just don't, I can't really figure out many places that they can win games. I'm going to guess that they go three and nine. So I'm going to go ahead and take the under in that for the danger zone. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's everything after week five. Um, so their schedule starts versus Wyoming at Indiana versus Virginia uh, by week, and then they host Chattanooga. So I can legitimately see them being three and one. They might very well lose their next eight games. Uh, they've got Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, obviously. They play Michigan State and Michigan as their opponents from the Big Ten East. Uh, they do have Michigan State at home, but on the road against Michigan and on the road against Northwestern to finish out the season. I'm not saying they can't get uh, a, a couple of, of wins here and there, but if I'm a betting man, uh, ooh, three and nine is is really all I, I feel super confident about. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. They're, they're a plucky team. I think they're going to be worth tuning in to watch at least every once in a while on a Saturday morning, but you know, I think that team might be a lot better than what their record ends up showing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we would have pegged them for five wins going into last year. So, I mean, they're probably going to knock off a team or two. That's a Brett Bielema mainstay, even going back to his time at Arkansas when he was the head coach there. So, you know, maybe they catch a team sleepwalking or looking ahead, or they just really muddy up a game like they did against Penn State last year. <laughs> and just cause a lot of problems. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Just looking over their schedule, Indiana and Virginia back-to-back, week two and three, got to win both of those if you think gotta. they are yeah. bowl-bound. And you know maybe Indiana is struggling to get their feet under them with Basilac. Maybe Virginia is not all the way there yet by week three with a new head coach. And I believe that's their first road trip, so maybe that causes some problems there. But yeah, after that, after Chattanooga, it's tough sledding for these guys. And look, they could very easily beat, you know, a, a Purdue team if if Purdue's off the tracks. So Trey, I think you've got the Purdue uh, preview, so we'll talk about them in just a little bit. Northwestern at the end of the season, Garrett, you've got them. You're not very high on the Wildcats, so who who knows uh, in in the season finale there? But you know, again, like I said, it's from you know sitting here on July 20th when we're recording this especially with the offense having so many unknowns a new quarterback yeah they've got Chase Brown but out wide it's just not a lot of proven game breaking commodities uh so they're going to have to win games with their defense which you know that's kind of what the Big 10 West does is just maybe gets by an offense and wins games with their defense i do think that there's you know, three or four defenses that are going to be better than theirs in conference. And, and so I'm, I'm not very confident about the record showing out. But that being said, I do want I do want the record known. I'm not down on the Illini. I'm just also not going to go ahead and say they make it to a bowl game this year. Yeah, well, for me, I think the hard part is a lot of these possible wins that we're seeing where it's like maybe they jump up and get this team. They're coming after big games, right? So Purdue comes right after Michigan State, where if they lose that game, that could be a real drain on the team. Northwestern comes right after Michigan, and that's a trip to Michigan, right? So this is kind of one of those where you're on the road your last two games at Michigan, then at Northwestern. Not a whole lot that you can be going off of in terms of, you know, fan support or momentum or anything like that. So, 
you know, it, they dropped the last four looks pretty likely, you know, especially with Michigan state and Michigan in the middle of those, they're going to have to find a way to try to win either Purdue or Northwestern if they want any chance of hitting their over. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, it should be a fun team. Like I said, I, I hope when we get to the end of the season that, that we can look back at the preview and go, okay, yeah, some of those pieces fell into place. I think Bielema is the right coach there. I think he's the right fit for Illinois. I mean, he's a Midwest guy. He had so much success at Wisconsin Obviously, a, a bigger program, more resources, more well-known for football success. But uh, if he can build that defense and find some sort of consistency on offense, right? Like I said, they, they were just so slow last year and, and had no quarterback play. The offensive line couldn't, couldn't stop a bloody nose, and it got Brandon Peters hurt in that very first game. So uh, DeVito has a much higher ceiling than Peters did, certainly than Sikowski does. So... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Illinois finds a way to get to five wins. I think that's probably their ceiling. Uh, if you know, if they're all of a sudden in a in a bowl game, I think we're talking about them as maybe one of the biggest surprises of of twenty twenty two. All right, Illinois. Yeah, in the rear slow. One, sorry, one more thing on Illinois. Slow is okay, but you have to be efficient, right? Like yeah, you yes. can't be slow and inefficient. That is not a winning combination. But Brett Bielema offense is going to be slow. They're going to be one of the lowest plays per game offenses in the country year in and year out. They just got to be more efficient, got to finish those drives off. Actually, I'm glad you said that because speaking of slow and inefficient offenses, natural segue. (laughs) Eric, the the brothers, or I guess I should say the father son Ferentz duo in Iowa is, uh, is, is not known for offensive prowess. Take us. To Iowa, my friend. Certainly not. No, uh, Kirk Ferentz has gotten to some of the highest peaks in the college football mountain. Uh, he just hasn't quite gotten to the top yet. Uh, since 2015, okay, Iowa is a top 10 winningest program in the Power Five. It's third best in the Big Ten, and they still just can't seem to get over the hump and win the conference. It's not necessarily due to a lack of talent. They're plenty successful getting guys in the league. You know, it's not due to a lack of coaching. Uh, it just winning the West and showing up in Indianapolis is certainly something to be proud of. But Ference will be one of the first to tell you that his program needs to take that next step and make good on that contract extension that he just signed going through 2029. Um, expectations and confidence are high, but um, you know they're going to have to tinker with some stuff. They're, they're not overhauling. They're not thinking it's time to you know go to the drawing board, but they are going to tinker. They're going to mess with some stuff. And they're going to try to figure out a way to stay on top of this division and hopefully find a way to conquer the conference. Um, starting on offense, big place to start tinkering would be the offensive side. Uh, they were pretty bad on offense across the board last year. They finished 99th in points per game at just 23.4. They had 3.41 yards per carry, which was good for 108th. And guys, unfortunately, those are some of the better categories for this offense, oh which God. just needed to find a spark to keep the Hawkeyes relevant. They, they need to find a spark. Uh, the confusing part about the offseason strategy is they didn't really switch anything up in terms of personnel or coaching. They didn't really add anyone in the portal. Um, they could have pitched themselves coming off a Big Ten championship appearance, um, but they seem to think that they're fine with their group. And if that's the case, then it's just time for better improvement and better execution. Uh, you're going to start at the quarterback spot. The Hawkeyes are bringing back uh, three-year starter Spencer Petras. Uh, Last year was underwhelming for him, only completing 57% for 1880 and 10 touchdowns compared to nine interceptions. Uh, They could look to junior Alex Padilla, who in limited action, he only completed 49% 
for 636 and then a two touchdown to two interception mark. Neither option really excites you if you're a Hawkeyes fan based on last season's performance. But whoever starts, they're just going to have to be a little bit better completing passes, you know, to people wearing black and yellow, preferably. Um, If you see minimal improvement, you know, you could see maybe a 60% with, you know, maybe like a 20 touchdowns, eight interception type line. I think Iowa would be a lot better on offense if you could just get that improvement out of your quarterbacks. Uh, They do lose their productive, um, though sometimes indecisive and error prone running back to the draft uh, and get, they will bring back Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams to replace that as sort of a slash back in their zone heavy run scheme. Um, there does need to be sizable improvement here though, not just in terms of, you know, numbers, but in terms of efficiency, like we said, the low yards per carry, and especially in reducing negative plays that put your offense behind the chains. They had 47 rushes for negative yardage, not including sacks. That's not fantastic. Um, you'd prefer to see that number come down and to stop getting yourself behind the chains for an offense that doesn't seem to produce very much anyways. Uh, They do bring back some experience at the wide receiver position, which is another area they need to sort of work on to see if this offense can find a sign of life, right? Uh, Wide receiver King and Johnson, he definitely showed some sparks. He averaged 19.6 yards per catch. Uh, He had a pair of scores last year. Arlen Bruce, the fourth, scored four touchdowns and a good effort. Uh, But their leading receiver last year had 26 catches. Uh, That's not not what you want to see. Uh, coming out of a wide receiver. Their tight end spot is probably going to continue to be a strength of the team. Senior Sam Laporte is coming back after year where he actually led the team from the tight end spot with 53 catches and 670 yards. Um, This offense works from the inside out, right? They have a tight zone run scheme. Uh, They're going to throw their tight ends first, and they're going to have to find ways to stretch the field going forward if they want to beat some of the better teams in this conference in a year where the offenses should be pretty potent. Uh, There's going to be some competition on the offensive line. It gelled really well last year, but that's not really their main concern. Their big thing they're going to have to figure out on the offensive line is going to be replacing first-rounder Tyrell Linderbaum. Uh, They're going to bring in a – sorry, they're going to take a converted defensive tackle in Logan James, and they're going to put him at center, which is actually kind of the same thing that Linderbaum did, funny enough. So I guess they think they have a formula there for figuring out centers. We'll have to see if it works, but the offensive line is not the issue for that Iowa offense. Um, The good news for the Iowa offense, though, is that it only has to find a way to be mediocre to give one of the best defenses in the country a chance to win games for the Hawkeyes. This team is about as deep as you can get, particularly on the line of scrimmage on defense. They bring back seven guys who had substantial playing time last year, including their co-sack leaders and Joe Evans and Lucas Van Ness. They're going to bring back all three linebackers, including a second-team All-American, Jack Campbell. They're going to lose some starters on the back end, but there's a lot of upperclassmen with experience who are ready to kind of step up, hit the ground running, help this defense be even better than it was last year. They finished 13th in points per game allowed with 19.2. That's a pretty good clip. Uh, They were stout in run defense. They gave up 3.15 yards per carry. That's eighth in the FBS. Uh, But they were maybe better against the pass. They gave up six point four per attempt, which is 14th, but they had 25 interceptions, and that was the most by a Power 5 team since 2014. A lot of people just assume that Iowa's strong in the box. They don't let you run, but they actually are surprisingly one of the better defenses in the country in coverage, and they should get credit as one of the best overall units in the country. 
this is one of the best defenses in the nation at turning the ball over, and they're going to need to keep that up so they can give that struggling offense as many chances as they possibly can to score. Uh, the fortunate thing for this unit is that the consistency and the personnel should help them maintain their success, you know, kind of knowing their assignments, where to go with the help, what gaps they need to be in up front, you know, who they're passing off in coverage. That kind of continuity should spell out better things for an Iowa unit who I think has a real chance to finish top five nationally. Uh, floor ceiling here, they got an over under a seven and a half games. I'm going to pick the over pretty comfortably here. I have them going nine and three and finishing second in the West. I don't think this is the season that Iowa fans are hoping for, but when you have a cross-division matchup with Michigan and Ohio State, that's just brutal. Uh, I think 10-2 is possible if they run the tables in their division while they take care of the Cyclones early on. But look, guys, if they can't score and they kind of regress on offense, they could find a way to mess around and lose to maybe Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa State, as well as those cross-division matchups and maybe go 7-5. and five. Uh, Their danger zone... Things actually are spaced out pretty well for them, given the fact that it's a tough schedule. They do end with a tough slate of Wisconsin at home, Minnesota on the road, and then the Cornhuskers at home to finish the year. It's a tough October. They have the Wolverines and Buckeyes in October, so it could be maybe a little bit of a down year for them. They're maybe lower in the ranks than they want to be, so that could be kind of hard to get up for those games later in the year. So they're really going to have to find a way to stay focused and get some momentum to carry them through that last stretch of the year and finish strong. Well, when I look at Iowa, man, they just have a lot of hallmarks of a team that I pick to regress year over year. And you talk about the high watermark of reaching the Big Ten championship game. They're one of only three teams from the West that's done that since uh, they started that game when they went to 12 teams. Um, man, they, they were 4-0 in the regular season in one possession games. Um, and you talked about that turnover margin. It was just ridiculous last year. and. Those are just things that aren't always sustainable in college football. And so one of the reasons I have them taking a step back, I think I finally settled on eight and four for Iowa, which isn't like a huge step back and not too far off what you're thinking. But yeah, I, I don't think they're necessarily the contender for the for the championship in the West Division this year because of those things. I think they're going to take a step back. Look, Petrus is has not shown me anything to give him any confidence. Um, and there's some really good quarterback play on this side of the division for the first time in a long time. I think if you were ranking them out, he's probably lower half and maybe even like towards the bottom of that lower half. So yep. yeah, I mean, just all signs are pointing to a little bit of a regression and they've just been such a stalwart of consistency on this side of the conference for so long that, I mean, regression might not look that drastic, but yeah, I don't think that they're necessarily a contender for the West crown this year. I, I've got them at eight and four myself, and I was looking back at the schedule and I, I couldn't figure out how on earth I got them to eight and four. I think I have them maybe upsetting Minnesota, something like that late in the season, just because like I, when I was looking at Minnesota at 11 and one, which... You know, I mean, look, Trey, you and I are very high on Minnesota. We'll talk about that in a minute. I don't know that I'm 11-1 high on them, so I, I think I gave Iowa a win over Minnesota. But, you know, Garrett, you mentioned the offensive struggles. Look, Spencer Petras stinks. He's not a good quarterback. At times, it literally <laughs> feels like he doesn't understand what's happening in front of him. And 
Uh, yeah, he's a turnover machine. Alex Padilla might... It, it seems like the game's a little bit slower for Padilla. Dude, you mentioned his completion percentage was like under 50%. I mean, talk about it. Yeah, literally like spray and pray with, uh, with Alex Padilla. You also talked about the offensive numbers, how low those were. That points per game total includes a 51 piece when they beat Maryland 51-14. And Trey, what was like the most anticipated game of last season? Uh, (laughs) I was so, I said on the last episode, I was so, so ready to join the Maryland bandwagon. And (laughs) then Talia just decides to throw like seven interceptions on Friday night. Junior, like, shatters his leg in half uh to leah and through he he, he waved to the crowd that he would be back and the trainer was like no no, <laughs> no, you're not. no you're not. <laughs> listen man your your foot's pointing the wrong way i mean they just couldn't they couldn't score last year 24 to 7 lost to purdue 27 to 7 lost to iowa of course you know they get just boat raced in the big 10 championship game 42 to 3 when you can't score multiple times that's a that's a cause for concern and excuse me something that i I would have thought like you know gary to your point would have would have made them address whether it's the quarterback position whether it's the offensive coordinator position which listen brian ferentz isn't going anywhere like i said he's son of kurt ferentz but dude's not good he's just it's not not a dynamic offense there well and it's uh, it's not so much that it's just not great it's it's pretty bad they're only able to win because their defense is so good right right? yeah I don't want to ignore that side of the ball, right? Like we can talk about how Iowa's offense is bad for a long time. Okay. There's a lot of problems, but the defense is so good. I think they can make up for it if they can just find a way to, again, continue to turn the ball over like they were last year. I think there's just so much experience coming back. They got seven guys on the defensive line coming back. That's loads of experience. That's some old guys on that defensive line that are going to be able to, those are grown men, right? Those are some dogs. So, I think they're going to find a way to just continue to stifle teams. Uh, again, I said, I think this has a real chance of finishing as a top five defense nationally. And I'm not joking about that. I think they're a very good defense. Um, and, and I think, again, the offense just has to find a way to be somewhat passable. You know, they only scored 23 a game. They only gave up 19 a game, right? So, like, yeah. it's kind of the, the – as long as your defense is playing well enough, you're going to find ways to succeed. And, you know, I, I look at the schedule yeah. – Obviously, I don't think either one of us would say they're beating Ohio State or Michigan, but you know, I know y'all are higher on Minnesota. I, I'm I'm not quite ready to go there yet. I think I'm going to be willing to give the the Hawkeyes the benefit of the doubt here and just say keep your defense rolling, play your game, especially on the road. You know, let's let's see what that can do for them. And in all of all the divisions to be in with an elite defense and just no offense, Big Ten West, you're right at home. That's the place to be, yeah. So I'm a little worried that the quarterback play is going to take a step up this year across the division. Um, mm-hmm. I'll talk about that in just a little bit with Minnesota especially. But, I mean, yeah, if you're in the Big Ten West, you're right at home with really solid defense and sporadic at best offense, at least mm-hmm. historically. But right. if those quarterbacks take a step up, then – you could find yourself just lagging behind pretty drastically pretty quickly. Well, and like I said, can you just find a way to get to, you know, 60% completions and 20 touchdowns? Can you just find a way to do that? I know that sounds kind of tough for these quarterbacks. Such a mountain for Iowa 60% is not a tough number to find. You know, dial up some easy completions for them and see what you can do. I I know it kind of sounds like we're just joking about this, but seriously, like that's not crazy improvement. 
in terms of, you know, what you'd be asking. We're not asking him to complete 70% of his passes. We're just saying, go give me 60%, keep us in the game, stop throwing picks. Tell you what, if, if Jake Spavadol gets fired at Texas State after this year, he, he might submit his application up to Iowa with all those screen passes he runs. That, that might be a terrible option. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so from from Iowa to Minnesota, Trey, you're rowing the boat. You're high on the Golden Gophers, so am I. Please outline the case for P.J. Fleck and company. Oh, man. Well, yeah, guys. So P.J. Fleck is – I'm going to affectionately refer to P.J. Fleck as college football's dad. Um, and if there's any <laughs> objections to that, just let me know in the comments. Let me know right in. But, man, he's just such a likable guy. Like, Retakepod at gmail.com if he's yeah, not right in, right in if you don't like that. Um, but – yeah, college football's dad, PJ Fleck, is uh, rowing into year six in the Twin Cities. He signed a $5 million a year extension last fall. It's going to keep him there at least through 2028. He's got a 32 and 23 record, and that's not necessarily going to jump off the page at you. But man, those last two non COVID years were 11 and two. Of course, it was a top 10 finish and a nine and four run last year. Before 2019, uh, that was just the fourth nine win there were just four nine win seasons since the teddy roosevelt presidency in minnesota so this is like heights that minnesota is not used to so again just to re-hit that home minnesota hadn't finished ranked before 2019 since 2003 they hadn't finished ranked in the ap top 10 since 1962 so like we were still excited about jfk like leading us into the space age right so that's that's a long time ago yeah, so still, you know, last year kind of had a lot of Gopher fans asking what could have been, right? Another double-digit season was right there, um, but two of the losses were to Bowling Green and Illinois. Those are both at home. They scored only 20 points combined in those games. They lost those games by a combined 12 points. So the offense was what held the Gophers back last year. They were only 17.25 points per game in their four losses. If you take out opening night against OSU where they dropped 31, they were scoring only 12.6 points per game. That's not going to win you a lot of games even in the Big Ten West. Um, But despite all that, I think all the tools are there for a big season this year. If they can just find consistency that powered them to 11 wins in 2019, uh, they could be in for a really special season. If not, they're just going to be asking what if again. Um, But on offense, you know, like I said, Minnesota did just enough to get that job done last year. They definitely left a lot to be desired. They scored overall in the season just 25 and a half points per game. That was good for 83rd in the country. And it seemed like peak performance was kind of somewhere in the 28 to 35 range. That was about their max output that they could hope for. They were relying on a lot of ground and pound. They were relying on a lot of just ball control and trusting their defense, which I really think they had the talent to expand that a little bit last year. And it was really frustrating. I'm sure for Minnesota fans to watch a lot of that squandered, but going into the year, they planned to land on uh, Muhammad Ibrahim. He ruptured his Achilles in that season opener against Ohio state. It was just like a super unfortunate injury. He was done for the year. I think he had almost 170 yards of offense through three quarters against the Buckeyes. And then he was killing the Buckeyes. He was destroying them. They had no answer for him. And then all of a sudden, just season's done like that. Uh, even after he was done, they still tried to uh, hashtag establish it. They wanted to really 
high T offense uh, last year. They <laughs> ran more than any Power 5 team, and they passed less than any FBS team except Army and Navy. When you got a fifth-year quarterback <laughs> at that time in Tanner Morgan, that just does not compute. Like I, I have no idea what they were doing with that. Because of that, Mike Sanford was let go. Uh, he was their offensive coordinator, and the GOAT is coming home in Kirk Shiraka. Uh, he is coming back. Um, the wayward son is returning. He left for Penn State. It didn't work out there. He was an analyst last year, I think, somewhere in the ACC. I want to say Miami, maybe. But he, he didn't um, go to the right rehab clinic. He didn't go to the Saban rehab. Well, if he wanted to be a head coach, he would go to the Saban rehab clinic. Yeah. But he's back in. He's back with college football's dad. He's under his arms, and he is going to reunite once again. Look. <laughs> I, I can joke I can joke about this all I want. Kirk Shiraka, he was the architect for those great Western Michigan offenses when PJ Fleck was there. He was the offensive coordinator uh in Fleck's first few years in Minnesota. Things nosedive after he left for Penn State. They did not do a good job replacing him. Mike Sanford was not the answer. Um, so the hope is kind of right re- relying on Shiraka coming back and reuniting and kind of getting the band back together. So they've got four six-year guys on offense that Shiraka's calling the encore four. Love that big dad energy there too. <laughs> um, but it's six-year Tanner Morgan at quarterback, Mo Ibrahim at running back, uh, Chris Ottman-Bell at wide receiver, and John Michael Schmitz uh, manning the center spot. So starting with Morgan, just him getting back to form would be absolutely huge for these guys. Um he threw for 1,200 more yards, 20 more touchdowns, and fewer in, uh, interceptions, and completed passes at a 6.2% higher rate under Shiraka's offense in 2019 versus last season. So if he can get those numbers back in that range the last time he was working with Shiraka, that would be awesome. That would propel them to a lot of success this year, I think. It seems like he's been there for a decade plus, um, so that experience alone is going to be huge. Um you know, maybe uh, Tanner Morgan should be college football's dad, not PJ Fleck. But <laughs> uh, Mo Ibrahim, he's he's coming back. Achilles injuries are always tough for running backs, but if he can get back to form, that would be exceptional for them. Trey Potts got a lot of experience last year. He had about 500 yards on the ground, so he's an experienced guy that can spell him if it's needed. Um, Ottman Bell is, of course, going to lead the wide receiver group, but they have. Uh, Daniel Jackson and Dalen Wright, a couple of really talented guys. Uh, Dalen, of course, we know very well from his time at AM. and um, Michael Brown-Stevens also started nine games at wide receiver as a redshirt freshman last fall. And they've got a really solid tight end in Brevin Spann and Ford. Um, he's going to need to step up, though, to replace uh, Co-Kyft, sorry, uh, that went in the sixth round of the Tampa Bay Bucks last year. But up front, this is going to be the biggest question mark. So. O-line was the main thing the offense had going for it last year, uh, but only Schmitz is returning as a starter. They brought in transfers in uh, Chuck Falaga from Michigan and Quinn Carroll from Notre Dame. Those guys are probably going to man the right side of that offensive line, um, and they've got experience to choose from on the left. So finding protection for Morgan is going to be absolutely huge and crucial. If they can protect him, look out. This Kirk Shiraka offense could be really scary. Didn't the offensive line for Minnesota, weren't they the biggest in 
college football. Like they were, yes, they were like 330 pounds to a man and stuff like that. Ooh. Yes, they were some hefty boys and some big boys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the their tackle who went, I've forgotten if it was the second or the third round. He was like six foot nine, just yep. a gargantuan human being. So that that's a big loss for them. Yeah, losing losing all that size is huge. They are seem like they're still committing to having a large offensive line. Just looking through the roster, that seems like something Flex kind of prioritized in recruiting over the last few years. So, yeah, I mean, it, that's the biggest question mark is can they replace those guys that were really the only thing? That's the thing that made the offense go. They relied on the run, and they got decent production that way um, behind that offensive line. Um, so defensively, uh, the Gophers really raided the portal to fill spots on defense. They lost a ton of production, especially on the defensive line from last season. Um, I'm really concerned about if that's going to work well at Minnesota, where just continuity and culture and rowing the boat attitude, that's just so crucial for them to be successful. Everybody's got to buy into that. It's kind of hokey. It's kind of not for everybody. PJ Fleck is really open about that. Can all these transfers buy in and contribute? That's a big question for me. But uh, defense has been part of the culture at Minnesota too. Uh, Joe Rossi might be one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in college football. Uh, they were third in total defense and sixth in scoring in 2021. That's the reason they were able to win nine games. It certainly wasn't the offense. But when you can keep teams in the teens and 20s, that's going to go a long way, even if your offense isn't producing like it should. But uh, Thomas Rush and Trill Carter are going to be the main returners on the D-line. They also have transfers uh, in Kyler Bow from Houston Baptist, Daniel Jeffries from Clemson, and Lorenza uh, Sugars Sergers from Vandy. Um, they should all see a ton of action and help fill those gaps. They lost six out of their eight top D-linemen from last year. Again, Oof. up front's going to be the biggest question mark on offense and defense for the Gophers. Jack Gibbons was the leading tackler in his one season at Minnesota last year. His departure is going to sting at the linebacker spot, but their second leading tackle, Mariano Sori, uh, Mark Marine, is going to return to man his linebacker spot. Transfers are also going to be huge in the secondary. Uh, Beanie Bishop comes over from Western Kentucky, Ryan Stapp from Abilene Christian, and it's all going to be kind of built around last year's freshman All-American Justin Whaley at corner. Um, those other two guys are going to be competing for that other corner spot. Uh, Tyler Newbin and Jalen Jordan Howard Howden. Sorry about that. Tyler Newton and Jordan Howden. Uh, they appear to kind of have that safety spot on lock and Fleck is really excited about that safety room. Uh, he says it's the deepest he's seen in his head coaching career. So lots of optimism there from the head man. And we'll see if that plays out again, lots of transfers, lots of moving pieces that are going to have to mesh really quickly. Minnesota to be successful but on their floor and ceiling guys they're over under set at 7.5 and baby we are hammering the over Fleck hasn't won fewer than seven in a full year since 2018 um their toughest out of conference game is Colorado they beat them 30 to nothing last year in Boulder they get them at home this year they got some tough crossover games in Michigan State and Penn State. Both of those are on the road. But guys, there's not a divisional game that I'm going to comfortably bet against them at this point. Like, sitting here on July 20th, I'm not betting against them in any divisional game and feeling comfortable about that. I mean, 
if everything goes wrong and they have injuries like they did last year and the offense just doesn't click with Kirk Chiraka, then sure, we're looking at six and six or seven and five, maybe being the absolute floor. But their ceiling is playing for the Big Ten Championship. And if they can get by that, if they can pull off a miracle against presumably Ohio State, who knows after that? Um, their danger zone. They've got a really sneaky game uh, against Purdue at home in week five. That's the week after they go to East Lansing. I have them winning that game at Michigan State in the preseason and just coming off that emotional high might be tough against a pesky Purdue team that I'll talk about later. But like we talked about in the front, you talked about it in the jump, Mitch. This Big Ten West schedule is so backloaded. I think the conference schedule makers did that on purpose to get those best games at the end of the season. So Minnesota ends the season at home against Iowa and at Wisconsin. Of course, they always play Wisconsin at the end of the year for Paul Bunyan's axe. But yeah, that's just a tough back-to-back for two other two teams that are probably going to be ranked at that point. And definitely that Wisconsin game, I think, will be the de facto West championship game. Punch my ticket right there on the hype train with you. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm on board, my friend. Uh, I think Minnesota likely is the Big Ten West champ, uh, and I've got them beating Wisconsin in that finale uh, to, to win their side of the conference. I'm right there with you, dude. Like They've got the, the skill players and at least the idea of a quarterback in Tanner Morgan that this offense should be maybe the best on that side of the conference. I think Minnesota and Nebraska, which I think I'm talking about next, are probably battling each other for for maybe that top spot on that side of the conference. But Purdue could step into they. I'll, I'll talk about why. Yeah, that I've got to go to in. school with Purdue because the way I've seen it. Come on, like, classes in oh, session, baby. Anyway, <laughs> Let's I'm, do it. I'm, I'm wondering how you make a boiler uh, in in 2022. We'll get there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, point being. Put put me up in in the uh, in the engine room, man. I'm I'm shoveling coal right there with you. Let's let's take uh, Minnesota all the way to the ship. Play play that sound one more time. Thank you. Well, guys, I've got a bunch of uh, hype train tickets, but I I don't think I have the the fees for this one. Unfortunately, I do have them going seven and five this year. Um, <laughs> look. I, I'm sorry. I'm so Who do you sorry. have them losing to? That's yeah, what I'm most curious about. Look, here, here's Blame the deal, okay? At Michigan State, I think that's a loss. Okay. Okay. At Penn State, I think that's a lot. That's a night game at Penn State. That, I think that's probably a loss. I think that's, that's wide out, isn't it? I, it probably I think it's, I mean, I think it's, it's Yeah, that is, because then they made Ohio State the noon, the noon game. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I that's think that's probably going to be a rough game for the Gophers. So I think that's two. I think they dropped the last two of the season to Iowa and Wisconsin. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that may not be what people want to hear, but I do think it is also at Wisconsin. That's a really tough game. It is at uh, Wisconsin, yes. And I think between Purdue and at Nebraska, they probably drop one more. I mean, I just, it's hard to. Yeah. Purdue's right after Michigan State. You could have a little bit of a letdown spot there. Purdue's um, specialty. It is. It is. And so, you know, I just, I'm kind of looking at this and I'm saying, okay, there's some good pieces. I'm willing to kind of go with you on the offense. There's so much turnover on the defense, you know, and it, and it's not exactly like they were going out and getting massive additions on the defensive side of the ball. They, they got some good players, but most of the guys you mentioned are guys coming from smaller schools, maybe smaller conferences and coming to play there. 
and they do have to buy into the program. They do have to buy into the hype and they do have to figure out the culture. And it just seems like a lot of turnover for the fact that, I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of fantastic offenses maybe, but there's definitely going to be some offenses that are going to be tricky this year. And if you were to ask me to say, okay, who's going to have a better effort, you know, who has fewer holes? I think we picked Michigan state and Penn state in that top tier on the other side of the division. I think they're better teams than Minnesota. I also just, I, I, I'm not willing to go. I, I just, I don't know. I'm not willing to go there for Minnesota yet. Maybe I'm totally wrong on this one. I'm willing to be totally wrong on this one. I just, you know, I'm, I've got them at seven and five and I just, I don't see them hitting the over. It's a good line in my opinion. It, it's fair. And I mean, I was deciding, I mean, the stat that really made me decide to not tap the brakes on that hype train is PJ Fleck has just been so consistent at getting over that number yeah, over seven sure. and a half. And over seven and a half doesn't mean that they're going to win the division. I actually do. I mean, not to put a damper on the hype train as well. I actually do think Wisconsin probably wins that game on the last week of the season and takes that spot. I have Wisconsin winning the division, um, but I have them overall record both at 10 and two. Um, personally, I mean, I've shared that I'm a little bit lower on the Spartans. I think they win at Michigan State, probably drop that Penn State game if they can split those two road games sky's the limit uh that's going to be huge if they can get through october 22nd with just one loss then punch that ticket baby that, and that they, would be huge for them that would be huge i don't see how they get through two road games like that that's my only issue like if you had one of those games at home you could probably talk me into it i just don't see how two road games go well for you in that situation and let's, we could let's get be one. honest say that again we could get one we we we, just, we don't need both of them to go well. We just need think, one of them to go well. I mean, you, you could very easily have a nine and three Big Ten West champ, right? I mean, depending oh, easily. on yeah. what happens uh, with Wisconsin, with Nebraska, you could have those teams all beat up on each other, and you could have a nine and three Minnesota team that wins the division, or a nine and three, you know, Badgers team, what have you. I really think it comes down to the last week of the season. That's going to be just like I said, off the top, must see TV for me. Little point worth noting that Michigan State game is their fourth game of the season. They will have basically three tune-ups against New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado. But those first games of the season versus a real test, those can go sideways really fast. Doesn't matter who you are, every team in the country, your first real test of the season, especially on the road. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I don't oh. think that goes super great for the for the gophers. I'm sorry. Colorado scored zero points in that game last year, right? 30 to nothing. Right. And then they lost yep. Eric Broussard. Colorado might find a way to score like negative points. Like <laughs> they I'm might not, have I'm not questioning yards. the Colorado game. They're going to be fine against Colorado. I'm saying <laughs> their first test is Michigan State right, right. after that. You right. will have not had any sort of actual – like I would have preferred to see them play like a Purdue or an Illinois before they have to go to Michigan State. I would have preferred a little bit of in-conference stuff where you can play a team that's, you know, kind of worth something. And then, that's you know, what Nebraska kind of thought last year, a little bit. too, just to be fair. Uh, <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, fascinating case for Minnesota. Um, I'm not going to scream into my mic, but I am, I, like I said, I'm in the boiler room, not for the Boilermakers, but for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. <laughs> Hype train all the way from Minnesota. I'm really excited to watch them this year. Another team that I'm really excited to watch is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And guys, I, this is they're going to be one of the most polarizing teams in America. I mean, 
first of all, is there a hotter seat in college football than the one that Scott Frost is sitting on? Former? No. Yeah, I was going to say, that's <laughs> without a doubt a, uh, an easy answer. Former pride and joy of Lincoln, Nebraska. And he's the favored son, right? Gives him a national championship. Part of some of the greatest black shirts teams of all time. Uh, Homeboy's 15 and 29 in his tenure at Nebraska since, you know, claiming, what was it, the 2018 national championship at UCF. Um, he's already in his fifth season. That's not which good. Makes me, which makes me feel old because it doesn't feel like that long ago. It feels that like it just happened. I know, it really does. Uh, but yeah, five, this will be his fifth season at Nebraska on the field. Disappointment after disappointment off the field. It's been even worse. Uh, all sorts <laughs> of media distractions, coaching violations. I mean, just rumors of, yeah. you know, of basically getting uh, Lane Kiffin just left on the tarmac at, at different places. <laughs> Last year, they went three and nine. And, Oof. you know, we well cataloged. This team lost to Illinois in week zero, just a horrendous L. Team endured eight losses by eight points or fewer for the first time in college football history, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. That was never before had a team been on the wrong side of eight straight coin flips like just, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. It's not your game. year. And, and, dude, it was, it was literally the same script every game. Same song, different verse. Fall behind to a team that maybe they should beat, have a chance, come back, one possession game late, and then Taylor Martinez finds... Oh, all right, Taylor Martinez, wrong, wrong Martinez. Adrian Martinez finds a way to throw a pick to fumble the ball. It, I mean, it was insane how yeah, they check kept on your Nebraska it. friends. You know, they're they're probably having a rough time this offseason. Oh, I think, I mean, the the Vietnam helicopter sounds when I said Taylor Martinez <laughs> are, are going off. No, no doubt about it. But uh, you know, point in their in their favor, they were competitive last year. Sure, eight eight losses by eight points or fewer. I mean, you're in the ball game. So at the very least, Nebraska fans weren't, you know, just having to watch blowout after blowout. But still, uh, light years to go before they're competitive for a Big Ten West crown. Potentially, this is the year to cover all of those light years. We'll see. Result from a lackluster start in his time in Lincoln, Frost saw his deal get restructured. Salary gets cut by 20% annually. He was Ooh. making $5 million. He's making four. I'm not a math guy, but, but that math does check out. Uh, he also watched his buyout get slashed in half, so he had a $15 million buyout. That magically got erased down to seven and a half. Uh, so not, not a big vote of confidence from the athletic department. They are very, very quickly looking for a way to throw open the door and kick him on out. Uh, so Frost gets his deal restructured. It's uncomfortable no matter what way you slice it. There are rumored metrics for him to hit this season. Now, what those metrics are, I mean, I'm sure they're wins and, and whatnot, but no one's really sure on the specifics. Rumored to be in place that would see his salary get bumped up to $5 million, but ultimately, I mean, hey, it's we got to see which door Scott Frost chooses, right? I mean, maybe behind door number two is salary increase. Who's to say that he doesn't, uh, that he doesn't pick door number one, though? Bottom line, Frost is coaching for his job. <laughs> it's time to win the games this season or... He's going to be packing his bags, uh, which would be just a could could be maybe the earliest start to the coaching carousel in 2022 if they get off to a, a slow start. But new hires, 
in place to make sure that doesn't happen. New OC is Mark Whipple. He brings a renewed sense of hope with him over from Pitt. Obviously just coached uh, Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison straight to a Peach Bowl appearance. That optimism has to survive a whale of offensive issues, though. So, start at the top. Nebraska's QBs last year, gentlemen, pressured on 43.2% of dropbacks. Basically a coin flip to see if that pocket was breaking down last year. Highest rate of all Power 5 teams. Not not a recipe for winning football. Offensive line needs to prove it in every way possible this fall. Uh, Cam Jurgens, who was their Mr. All-Everything center, he's gone to the NFL. So is six-year Trent Hickson. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Trent Hickson slides over to center, I should say. He's in his sixth season. Presume left tackle is Teddy Prochaska. He's working his way back from injury, but the Huskers do expect him to play. So they've got an established center who will slide over. They've got their left tackle. Left guard, right side of the offensive line, still very much in flux. At quarterback, Adrian Martinez, not Taylor Martinez, is gone to Kansas State, which means they obviously have to find a new man. But I think a lot of fans in red and white are glad for a fresh start, especially when that new start is quarterback Casey Thompson coming up from the University of Texas. Thompson was, despite the 5-7 and seven record for the Horns last year, was not bad. He threw for 2,100 yards, 24 touchdowns in 10 games with Texas. Most of that time, he was actually playing with a broken thumb that was like duct taped together for those games. I mean, the kid was an absolute warrior to play through that. Uh, Chubba Purdy has also transferred in from Florida State, but uh, he's not gonna he's not gonna start from reports on the ground. Uh, Thompson certainly has the inside track, even though Scott Frost has not officially named a starter. Mark Whipple decided to go ahead and coronate uh, Adrian, or I mean, I'm sorry. Um, Casey as the starting quarterback. So the offensive coordinator has basically said, hey, Casey's the guy. He's my starting quarterback. Head coach has not signed off on that. So <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing? Like, right. I don't remember if it was before or after uh, the media was asking Scott, you know, hey, you got this new transfer quarterback. You've got a couple of them. Is Casey the guy? And and Scott was like, No, no, I'm not going to name a quarterback. Like you know me, they've got to earn it. Mark Whipple's like, Yeah, Casey's the guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, cross because yeah, Scott Frost should be throwing his weight around. Come on, you you would think, right? Uh, it's the head man. Maybe he's lost the coaching staff. Who who knows? Um, uh, at running should. back, <laughs> at running back, the Huskers have a like planned committee. So Whipple has said it's going to be a stable of, of three backs. Ramir Johnson, Jaquez Grant, and Juco transfer Anthony Grant. So good luck keeping your, your jersey numbers straight uh, this next season. Gabe Irvin also working his way back from a knee injury last season. So you've got four options for three steady spots, uh, essentially. Out wide, returning playmakers Omar Manning and Elante Brown come back. Trey Palmer also moves in from LSU to provide the Huskers with the speedy deep threat. And they have some, you know, one of the coolest names of all time, a LSU decommit, Decoldis Crawford, uh, who comes in. He's committed to Nebraska, signed with Nebraska. So a lot of options out wide for the black shirts. Bottom line, Nebraska has the talent. They've got to eliminate the turnovers in 2022. Quickly on the defense, it is Eric Chenander, who's the new DC. Uh, he's behind the eight ball this season, plain and simple, when it comes to his defensive line. Health, not a concern for the Huskers for the first time in a few years coming out of spring ball, but the depth certainly is. Huskers have only one returning defensive tackle with experience in Ty Robinson. 
Nash Hutnotcher is probably the next man. I think I butchered that name. I think it's probably Hut Mocker. Um, as he's the next guy that can join on the inside. Former wrestling champ, an accomplished weightlifter. So the man is plenty strong enough. It's just whether or not he has the football technique to really secure that second starting spot. Nebraska is much stronger on the edge, though. TCU transfer O'Shawn Mathis chose the Huskers over Texas a couple of months ago. Uh, I think he's going to have a tremendous season. Spoiler to our, our uh, superlatives at the end of this episode. Um, he's also joining forces with Garrett Nelson, their top returning tackler at linebacker, key leader as well. So that front seven, some questions on the interior. The edges probably going to be a much, much stronger in the secondary, Quentin Newsom, Miles Farmer are the undoubted leaders. Newsom looks to truly be a lockdown corner. Farmer will be asked to help with the run game as well from his safety spot. Uh, they do have a couple of transfers, including Braxton Clark, who transfers in from Arizona State to compete for the other cornerback spot. And then they've got uh, three guys right now on the roster that are competing for the other safety spot opposite of Farmer. Secondary should be solid. But they are replacing some good production that they lost to the NFL. Cam Taylor Britt, most notably, uh, heading to the pro circuit. So, you know, optimism, I think, cautious optimism, but still some unproven talent. The Huskers, as a fun fact, allowed 4.1 yards per carry on the ground last year, which isn't terrible. Not great, but it's not terrible. But that metric also ranked 11th in the Big Ten. So... They've got a long way to go if they even want to compete in their own conference. Floor ceiling, uh, bet online has the over-under at 7.5. I, I think this is a great number. Call me an optimist. I'm going to go over here. I think the Huskers find a way to get to eight wins. I think Scott Frost saves his job. Schedule lines up really nicely for Nebraska to have, have a decent year as long as they execute, if we're being honest. Last year, everything went wrong for them. This year... I mean, statistically, we have to progress towards the mean a little bit, right? Like, you've got to start winning some of those coin flips. I think Nebraska has has a, a puncher's chance at a, at a decent season. If you squint, if you squint, you can get Nebraska to 10 wins. And I'm happy to talk about that. I'm just saying, like, if if the, the light hits correctly, you could see a 10-win Cornhuskers team. The danger zone... It's week 11 through 14. They're at home against Minnesota, at Michigan, at home against Wisconsin, at Iowa to end the season. Um, gentlemen, the floor is open for you to question all things Nebraska. Well, I mean. They could get it, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we got to squint pretty hard to get all the way to 10. Um, but. Man, listen, listen, if they if they find a way, we, we don't know a lot about Oklahoma. We'll get to them next that's true. week, I guess, in the Big 12 preview. So we don't know about Oklahoma. They've got the Sooners at home. They gave the Sooners all they wanted last year. So, you know, maybe coin flip, they, they win it at home, and then maybe they surprise the Badgers. Who knows? I'm just saying. <laughs> it, it's possible. They, they definitely, I mean, Casey Thompson is going to be a vast upgrade, yeah. and that's where it's all going to start for them. I'm just worried about consistency and I'm worried about lit, just that weight of Scott Frost's job being on their shoulders sure. all year. Man, I mean, 
week zero, like we just kind of pencil that in as a win against Northwestern. We'll talk about them in a second, but like that's <laughs> literally a classic Scott Frost loss in the Nebraska in his tenure in Nebraska, where you're just like, okay, everything's set up. You can't screw this up. We're just yeah. gonna hand this to you right here, and then something just incredible happens to just blow it all up. And so, yeah, the and schedule I- does set up. I mean you get to their second bye week and on uh, the middle of October, I think you think everything's gone perfectly. They're sitting at six and one and they're already bowl eligible. So, I mean, after that though, I mean, Illinois, maybe seven, seven and one. And after that, it's just brutal into the season. So seven and one start could be awesome, but what's the optimism looking like? in lincoln if they go oh and four after that and well, finish frost, is, frost is gone frost doesn't come back from the air lingus bowl if they lose to northwestern <laughs> well not even losing to not even losing to northwestern but they're sitting at seven and one going into the oh. minnesota game and then they drop those last four like they and then yeah you made a bowl game you improved but yeah no, I Nebraska, could, it's a real situation that could happen yeah. Well, I mean, I when I was remember. putting this together, I actually had them at six and six, but I have them going five and one and then one and five. That's oh. not going to cut it. That's going to oh, have big red fans screaming. He's gone. And and Trey, I think you and I were, I don't remember if we were talking. Yeah, about it was on the spoiler five. episode. We That's were talking right. about Nebraska. Right. It, it was. If you haven't listened to the spoiler episode, uh, not an evergreen episode necessarily, but still time to go listen to it. Um, yeah, if if the Huskers find a way to start seven and one and then lose their next four, I don't care that they made a bowl game. Like Frost is getting fired. Uh, and I don't want that because he's, he's in many respects, he's the perfect guy to succeed at Nebraska. Right. I mean, he should have every advantage there and, and yet he just hasn't, he just hasn't found a way to, to make it happen. So I do think unless they go eight and four with a couple of ep- upsets. I, I don't think Frost is, is employed at the end of this year, especially because that buyout got slashed in half to seven and a half, which, you know, Nebraska has flexed their NIL muscle. They've got plenty of cash. Seven and a half is, is a drop in the bucket for a big program like Nebraska. Yeah, it kind what of seems like eight, they're trying to find a way out. What if eight and four is upsetting Minnesota on November 5th and then losing at Michigan, at home against Wisconsin, at Iowa to finish the year? I, mm. So I would say, I mean, well, it, it depends. It honestly, if it's Garrett's Minnesota, is that really an upset? If it's my right. Minnesota, that is an upset, whale of an upset. <laughs> so, so much of it depends on what P.J. Fleck and the, the Gophers are doing by that point. I, I think you've got to have something in November – for Husker fans to grasp onto to say, okay, that is what we can do. If, if there's no, I mean, it, let, let's be honest, uh, all too real example. If they have a Sumlin kind of November, I was just about to say, I'm getting big Kevin Sumlin vibes oh, here. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter how hot you come out of the shoot. If you finish seven and five and get punked in the month of November, you know, smell you. Uh, he, he's gone. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And, you know, hopefully he lasts longer than his trip to Ireland to open up the year in week zero. Oh, gosh. Nebraska needs to win the Aer Lingus Bowl like a fish needs water. 
Um, speaking of the Aer Lingus Bowl, Garrett, uh, you've got Northwestern. I mean, first question, before you get to the preview, is Northwestern winning in Dublin? Uh, well, no, just no, they're not. I'm sorry, okay. they're just not going to find a way to win <laughs> in this game. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry. Northwestern fans, I know that there's possibly dozens of you available to listen to this podcast. I, I just want to... I want to start by saying I'm not going to be very nice to you here. Um, and, and so you may want to turn this part off. Um, look, Pat Fitzgerald is coming back for year number 17 with the Wildcats. And so far, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. There have been some really good years. They have three 10-win seasons and some pretty notable bowl game victories. And there have also been some horrible years as of most recently. Five losing seasons, including a couple of three and nine campaigns in the last five years. Uh, They did play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship during the COVID year, and that was a really salty defensive unit. Um, But all that went out the window last year just being abysmal. Uh, They do kick off the year in Dublin, like we've been talking about. Um, It's also a weird thing. I looked this up. They're situated 500 miles apart from each other, uh, Nebraska and Northwestern, but they're going to be flying a collective 15,000 miles round trip between both of the schools. So, um, just really interesting that those are the two schools they chose to send, um, given obviously, you know, a distance across the pond, but they're so close to each other anyways. Um, and look, they're going to have to get things off to a good start in Dublin to avoid having another really rough season. Uh, they did lose to Big Red 56 to seven last year and Lincoln, maybe a neutral site game helps. Is that a neutral site? I mean, yeah, but it's just the other side of the world. I don't know. It kind of depends on who brings their team for the trip. Um, look on offense, buckle up. Things are going to get pretty rough. Um, to get started, this offense really needs a quarterback. Last year, Ryan Holinsky transitioned from South Carolina and he completed 54% in nine games, didn't reach a thousand yards in those nine games through the air. And he had an abysmal three touchdowns to four interceptions. Uh, Andrew Marty was better in air quotes. Uh, he had limited playing time. He completed 60% for 707 yards and six touchdowns and six interceptions. Uh, the Wildcats do believe that a full offseason for Helinski, who he was a late transfer last year, they have a weird academic calendar there at Northwestern. Uh, so they do think that a full offseason will be really good for him, uh, but he might end up getting beat out for the job by a former three-star and redshirt quarterback, Brendan Sullivan. Uh, Cam Porter does return to tout the rock. He's a stout power back, 5'10", 220. Uh, he's coming back. He had a fall leg injury last year, uh, sidelined his entire, uh, 2021. He had 333 yards and five touchdowns in a shortened season a couple years ago. Uh, most of that did happen, although in their last couple of games, including, I think there was a tilt with, uh, Auburn where he actually went pretty good. Um, so some of that production is coming back. You're looking for him to kind of bounce back and provide an option for Northwestern on offense. Um, The Wildcats will be looking around for anyone else to step up in the passing game. Um, There is one receiver returning who caught 20 passes last year. That's Malik Washington. Um, Yeah, it's not great. They will look to senior Bryce Kurtz uh, and special teams contributor Raymond Nero III to step up to become primary targets on offense. Uh, They do bring back some experience in the tight end room. Charlie Mangiri and Marshall Lang have been in the program for a while. Uh, but I think they have something like 20 catches between the two of them. So they're going to need to figure out who's catching the ball in this offense. Uh, though he's not eligible to cast, uh, catch passes, 
Uh, first team All Big Ten left tackle Peter Scronsi is coming back. He was probably one of the best in the nation at the position, and he should be a huge help to make sure that whoever's throwing the ball has time to hopefully get this offense rolling. Uh, every player on the offensive line has had some form of starting experience. Some guys have years. Some guys have a couple games. So the offensive line should be the best unit on their offense, which isn't actually saying very much. But this should be pretty good. Um, and if you want to succeed on that side of the ball, it's got to start on the line of scrimmage. A uh, key stat for the Wildcats is their turnover margin. In their 3-9 and nine seasons recently, they finished 121st and 102nd in the country in turnover margin. Uh, in their more recent successful seasons, they finished 27th and 36th. So if you can stay in the green in the turnovers, there should be enough improvement in the record. Flip it over to the defense. Uh, it will be looking to kind of flush last year out of its memory and try again with a more experienced and familiar defensive unit. Uh, they should improve in year two under Jim O'Neill. Uh, big reason for that is going to be the success of their pass rusher. He's one of the best in the conference. It's at a Tamiwa, at a Barre. I did look that up Nailed to it. hopefully get the pronunciation correct. Uh, I looked up a local TV interview from his high school days when he was talking about how to say his name. So uh, apologies to this extremely talented uh, defensive lineman. He's returning for a fourth year off the edge. He posted four and a half sacks, eight and a half tackles for loss, and he did earn all conference honorable mention. Uh, they go to the portal for the rest of the defensive line. They're bringing in some older guys from Stanford, Indiana State, and UMass. Uh, they are going to bring back their leader in tackles, Bryce Gallagher. He's the middle linebacker. Uh, and like I said, he's kind of the leader on that defense, definitely the vocal leader, and he's going to need to step up and provide some more leadership to help them figure out where they need to be. Uh, they're bringing in Wendell Davis from Pitt to help at linebacker, and they're going to need somebody else to step up and put together a solid unit there. Uh, there is some experience in the secondary, which is going to help uh, with the other positions, hopefully trying to figure out how to get something going there. Um, they're losing Brandon Joseph. He goes to play for Marcus Freeman in South Bend, uh, but they're bringing back A.J. Hampton for a fifth year, Cam Mitchell and Rod Hurd the second for a fourth, uh, and they are getting a transfer from Duke and Jeremiah Lewis. They bring back Coco Azima. He's going to be bringing back some starting experience on the back end with another slew of players that just they've been in the program for a while, but it's time for them to finally step up to the plate. Uh, if Northwestern can improve in the box, especially when it comes to tackling, they should have the guys in coverage to help them be a good defensive unit again for the Wildcats. Uh, their over-under this year is four. This one's kind of tough for me, but I'm going under at three and nine. Uh, they absolutely have to beat Duke in week two uh, after the trip from Dublin. They do get a week off, um, so that should help with sort of the, the jet lag and kind of readjusting. Uh, but they have to beat Duke after that trip uh, to Dublin. Uh, they do play Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State, and I just, I'm not seeing wins there. I think at best, maybe they could sneak a game here and there and get to six, but most likely... Um, they're, they're going to just win against the lesser competition and they're out of conference and probably beat Illinois at home to end the season going three and nine, uh, their danger zone. It's just all of conference play. <laughs> Listen to this. So they get Nebraska <laughs> in Europe at Penn state, Wisconsin at Maryland at Iowa. They get a home game against Ohio state. Quick breather. At Minnesota, at Purdue, and then finally they get to Illinois. Woof. That's rough. Wait, so they only have 
They only have three true conference home games. That's mm-hmm. tough. And two of them are against Wisconsin and Ohio State. Oh, that's not not ideal. Not ideal. Yeah, you can't you can't be accused of being a hater for this. I mean, just no offense to speak of. Uh, and yeah, one of the toughest schedules, mm-hmm. maybe in all of college football. It's not good. And look, I like Northwestern. Just kind of, I don't have any ill will against them, so I'm not trying to be mean, but. Yeah, it's probably going to be another bad season for uh, for the Wildcats here. Yeah, I have uh, Northwestern Illinois actually battling for their first conference win um, the last week of the season. So Exciting. must see TV there at 11 a.m. Yeah. on the Big Ten Network. And yeah, it, it it's going to be a tough season for both. The, the land of Lincoln will not be enjoying college football this season. No, they will not. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, when when everything comes together like it did a couple of years ago, Northwestern's fun to watch because, you know, look, Clayton Thorson out of nowhere was decent at quarterback and that defense always comes to play. But, you know, without a proven quarterback and maybe this is Holinsky's year. You're right. Weird academic. I say weird. Just a different academic schedule. They have a quarterly system up there. Mm hmm. They're all smarter than us anyway, so maybe that's the correct format. <laughs> um, but, you know, Helensky didn't really do anything at, at South Carolina, so I, I've got no reason to believe that, that he is an X-factor. And then, as you mentioned, who's catching passes there? I mean, just not – so, you know, the, the toy chest isn't, isn't overflowing. Hey, if they want to put me on an NIL deal, I am happy to go catch passes in purple this fall. That's right. A little quick redemption of eligibility. What else are you going to do, right? Come on. Big 6-6 right. frame just creaming down the field. <laughs> put, put on, yeah, just get in, the, get in the weight room a little bit. Put on, you know. Hey, what, throw it up. Throw it up. I'll go up and get that's it. That's right. Go up, go up and use those <laughs> sticky hands. All right, Trey, you, you've been saying you're going to take me to school here on, on the Boilermakers, so the, the floor is all yours with Purdue. Yeah, let me get my pen. Need to take some notes. Gentlemen. Can we put some respect on the Boilers' name? Uh, that That's just all I got to ask. Uh, the Jeff Brom era, you know, we might have turned a corner last year. They quietly went 9-4. and four. Um, It wasn't perfect, but they showed a lot more consistency than just, you know, that team that will jump up and beat one top-ranked team. They beat two. Um, they doubled their usual production of top-ranked Ooh, team go. wins. Uh, but in all seriousness, it was definitely the most exciting season since Drew Brees was walking around on campus in West Lafayette. Um, they're kind of the anti-Big Ten West team. I've talked a lot about just these um, three yards in a cloud of dust offenses, you know, and if you're going to have a bad offense, this is the league to be in. But that's not Purdue. They throw the ball all over the yard um, in a division that's known for kind of setting the game of football back 20 or 30 years when they take the fields on offense. Uh, and that's an exciting brand of football. Uh, they've brought the fan base back. They've got a great quarterback that I'll talk about in just a second. But big question this year. This is why I think we as a show have been a little bit lower on them. Can they replace that skill talent uh, that they uh, that made their offense so exciting last year? So let's let's jump in the offense. Aiden O'Connell, it's going to be a six year on campus. He's solidly locked into that starting QB role. 
after he just broke out kind of out of nowhere last year. He's a former walk-on. Uh, he's at his best when the competition is ramped up. And his uh, games against top 10 teams last year, so against Iowa, Michigan State, and Ohio State, they, of course, went 2-1. and one. They knocked off uh, an Iowa team that I believe was ranked second at the time. Michigan State was ranked third. Um, in those games, he threw for 432 yards per game, nine touchdowns, and no interceptions. And the last time we saw him, uh, he threw for 534 yards and five touchdowns in that overtime thriller win against Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. So quarterback play, I don't think, I feel very confident in saying quarterback play is not going to be an issue for Purdue this fall. But like I said, big question, who's going to step up at wide receiver? So of course, we had All-American David Bell last year. He was just unstoppable. He's now a Cleveland Brown. The bigger problem, it looked like they had a guy poised to kind of carry that baton um, that had been passed down uh, to David Bell from um, uh, Rondale Moore, who's now an Arizona Cardinal. But, man, just stroke of bad luck for the program. Milton Rate, who had 732 yards and seven touchdowns last year, gets ruled academically ineligible this spring, and he's no longer on the team. So because of that, we're just kind of lost and looking for options in this wide receiver room. So it's going to start with senior Brock Thompson, who's returning from multiple knee surgeries this offseason. Uh, junior TJ Sheffield, they're, uh, they're going to have to shoulder a lot of that burden. I look for t uh, tight end Payne Durham to kind of step up. He's suddenly the top returning pass catcher. I think they're going to maybe adjust the offense to run through him just a little bit, but They've also got Elijah Cannon from Auburn, Tyrone Tracy from Iowa, and freshman Zion Steptoe, who's enroll an early enrollee from local down here, Frisco Memorial, and uh, Curtis DeVille, who's a four-star freshman. All those guys are newcomers that are going to kind of by committee, hopefully provide some production. Tracy, the Iowa transfer, he's also going to see a lot of snaps at running back, according to Jeff Brom. He's only listed at six foot 185. So I think you'll probably see him as more of like a scat back third down role. Um, he's definitely not going to carry that backfield alone at that frame. But they've got senior King uh, Dory Daru, uh, sophomore Dylan Downing, and Indiana transfer Samson James. So those guys are going to get time in the backfield as well. But Purdue honestly doesn't really run the ball a ton. Uh, they just kind of run the ball enough to keep defensives honest. It's a true old-fashioned air raid. They just had 84 yards per game on the ground in 2021, so not really super important to find a game-changer at running back, just kind of a guy that can keep a defense honest. Um, up front, we've got three full-time starters and another with starting experience returning. Uh, we've got redshirt freshman Marcus Imbo, who is looking to be the lone newcomer at a guard spot. Depth also looks really, really solid here. They've got some guys that have played before. They've got some transfers coming in. That last spot should see a lot of healthy competition there. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, Purdue really had not been known for their defense in the Jeff Brom era. But Ron English came in as a first-year defensive coordinator last year and did just a heck of a job turning it around. They were abysmal, like ranking in the 100s in most important categories in Brom's first few seasons. Uh, but they got all most of those categories up into the top third of the FBS last year, which is super respectable. And they held opponents to just 22.4 points per game. That's down from about 29 uh, the years prior. Of course, the big loss, George Karloftis, um, 
obviously a huge loss and they're not going to be able to replace his production um, just with one player. It wasn't just the sacks for him. He just disrupted offenses. He was constantly having to be double teamed. It was freeing up other guys to make plays, um, but it'll be a committee approach to replace him. So there's going to be guys like uh, Kydren Jenkins who tied Karloftis for the team lead in sacks last year, Jack Sullivan, Lawrence Johnson, Branson Dean. All those guys are going to compete for time at defensive end and hopefully just kind of be a strength in numbers situation. Um, at defensive tackle, Purdue's very young but very talented. There's going to be a lot of guys rotating there. At linebacker, uh, there's seniors Kyron Douglas and Jalen Graham are going to be leading the linebacker core, and they're the most experienced position group, uh, not just on the defense but on the entire roster. Corey Tice and Jamari Brown are both 6'3 seniors that are going to man the cornerback spot, so big physical corners uh, to cover all the receivers that they'll face in the Big Ten. And Cam Allen, really exciting at safety last year, coming up with four interceptions, just a really nice Havoc play guy. You kind of move all around the field and also blitz the quarterback if he needs to. Overall, like I said, replacing Karloftis is just going to be not just a defensive line team effort, but a whole team effort. I think they're going to open up that scheme just a little bit. Year two in a coordinator's system is usually when you see a lot of jumps. So hopefully with a lot of experienced players, they'll be able to open up new blitz packages and things like that. So their floor ceiling, um, I've joked a lot about the hype train for Purdue. Um, in all honesty, the over-unders at seven and a half, I think that's absolutely perfect. Right now I have them going into that rivalry game at Indiana on the last week of the season at seven and four. They've got an easier schedule overall than last year, but like we've talked about with all these teams, this division is just very improved. Um, their ceiling, I'm comfortable saying it's a dark horse division title contender. I think if things go right, Whoa. if Aiden O'Connell has an encore performance and just somebody can step up in the receiver room, they've got an offense that can give every team in this division problems. Now, you probably need some other things to go your way. It's probably not a pretty division champion. It's probably one of those three loss champions like we were talking about earlier. But, I mean, yeah, I feel comfortable saying that's their absolute ceiling. Um, but on the other side of that, if no one steps up at receiver and they just do not have a passing game, they don't have a running game to overcompensate for that. And it could be really bad really fast. So, anyways, but... Yeah, it's going to be fascinating um, to see who steps up and if that's possible. Quarterback play, not going to be a problem, though. And that's a huge part of being successful, especially in this division. But their danger zone in that schedule. Opening up the season with uh, Penn State at home, that's a game I'm really looking forward to week one. How huge would a win be there? I think you win that game at home to open the season. It The vibes are going to be immaculate in West Lafayette. Um, but their danger zone, this four-week stretch is really going to define their season. Week five, they're at Minnesota. Next week, at Maryland. They return home to play Nebraska and then go to Madison to play Wisconsin. Man, that that's, that's tough. a tough stretch. I, I want to see them go at least two and two there. I think you can probably knock off Maryland, but going on the road is tough. And then that Nebraska game would be just absolutely huge to return home if they could get that win at Maryland. But man, it could be the week they fire Scott Frost. It could be. I actually, I actually have that tentatively penciled in as a win for the Boilermakers. Oh my goodness. Um, 
I think overall you're looking right on that seven, five, eight, and four line, but um it could be a really exciting season. I, I'm not ready to write them off just because of losing the receiver talent, but somebody's got to step up. I am. <laughs> I, I, I mean, and, and our projections, it's it's not like I'm that much farther down the schedule on Purdue than you are. You've got them at seven and five, maybe eight and four. I've got them at six and six. And it sounds like that Nebraska game might be the, the only that one. might be the pivot game for us. That, yeah. that might be the pivot game. So I, I just, you know, when Milton Wright got ruled academically ineligible, um, that was tough. That, and, and I have friends that are, are Purdue fans that, I mean, literally right then and there, maybe overreacted, but they're like, guys, our season's over. Like, who is O'Connell throwing the football to? So we'll, we'll see. A lot, a lot to prove. A lot to prove there, no doubt about it, uh, with, with Purdue. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. Final team here in the Big Ten preview, and it is Wisconsin. Try and get through this pretty quickly. Quickly, let's start with the overview. Historic defense, brutally bad offense. That was a combination for Paul Chris's team last year. Badgers go 9-4. and four. They win uh, in the Las Vegas Bowl over the Arizona Sun Devils, which, gosh, that was a harbinger of things to come for Arizona State. The defense broke the single-season school record for fewest rushing yards allowed per game, but the offense was straight-up non-existent. Ultimately, that's what prevented them from claiming the Big Ten West. Four losses that the Badgers suffered last year, they scored 10 points, 13 points, 17 points, 13 points, including just what was a sad, sad way to end the season, a defeat against Minnesota, Paul Bunyan's axe. Uh, Christ was directly responsible for the offense. He, last season, took over play calling duties and the quarterback position. He, he said, that will be my responsibility. And they had one of their worst offenses in like 50 years at Wisconsin. So that's not the case anymore. They fired a new offensive coordinator. Uh, Chris says that change needed to happen. It obviously has. Uh, the West is potentially wide open this year. As we've talked about, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota, potentially a three-way battle for the top of the division if all things go right. Uh, and we'll get to their schedule here in just a second. Offensively, new OC and QB coach, as I mentioned, Bobby Ingram. He comes in from the Baltimore Ravens to improve the offense. And his goal ultimately is to continue the offensive line play and return Wisconsin as running back university. They've been so good at that position. 2022 could be the next iteration of that. Optus, uh, cautious optimism surrounding the program. Uh, hopefully a more dynamic offense in 2022 has to start with the quarterback position, though. Graham Mertz was the highest-rated recruit at quarterback that the Badgers have ever signed. And at first, his career started out with a tremendous high, right? I mean, that Illinois game, they went 20 to nothing or 21 to nothing. I've forgotten what the final score was. Defense pitches a shutout. Mertz looks like, you know, their best chance at a Heisman in, in a long, long time. And then it just kind of went over a cliff after that last season – through just 10 touchdowns, 11 picks, by his own admission, uh, efficiency, taking care of the football are his two top priorities in 2022. Badgers really need a turnaround out of him. They need solid quarterback play if they want to uh, compete for a division title and, and just, frankly, put some points up on the board. Out wide, two top names to know, Junior, uh, Kamiri Dyke, and Skylar Bell. Bell was just a true freshman last year, and he's drawn Michael Gallup comparisons from inside the program. Of course, 
stud wide receiver at Colorado State, now with the Dallas Cowboys. UCLA transfer Keontes Lewis also has big playability and a physicality that Wisconsin really welcomes. They've got decent speed out wide, but maybe some of that go up and grab the ball style of play is what they're really missing. Star of the show, without a doubt, Braylon Allen at running back. Finished his freshman season with uh, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns. At times, though, he did get tired because at one point during the season, he was literally getting all the carries. He was averaging like 26 carries a game and just ran out of steam, uh, mostly because Ches Malusi, the guy who started as the starting running back of the season towards ACL, he's back this year. Now, how healthy he'll be yet to be seen, but he is expected to be that change of pace back. I think now really to back up Braylon Allen as, as Braylon was doing for him uh, last season. Offensive line-wise, Wisconsin's always solid. Jake Nelson will be the left tackle this year after playing right guard in all of 2021. Tyler Beach moves inside to guard. He was at tackle a season ago. Uh, basically, the staff thinks that's where he's ultimately going pro at because of his size and his strength. So they're getting ahead of that. Joe Tipman returns at center after garnering a lot of attention and honorable mention by the conference uh, last season. He stat offensively to improve. Wisconsin was 114th in the country last season in passing efficiency on passes 15 plus yards down the field. Now, you look at that offense, you think, well, were they just not throwing ball? No, they actually were. Mertz attempted, I, I think they were in the top 20 in attempting passes 15 yards plus down the field. But efficiency wise, they were one of the bottom 16 teams in that metric, 114th in the country. Out of those 16 teams, they were the only one to have a winning record. Uh, so, you know, maybe some good news, bad news situation there, but point blank, if you want to contend for a division title, you got to throw the, the football more effectively. Defensively, defense is going to have a whole new batch of players. They lose eight of 11 starters from a year ago. That unit was sensational. Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn were both drafted at the linebacker position, truly the heart and soul of that defense. So a, a tough task to replace them. Two of the three returners that are coming back, however, are on the defensive line, so at least a good base to start with there. Edge, Isaiah Mullins, and nose, Keanu Benton, are coming back. Mullins brings exceptional strength and size to the edge position, while Benton provides some of the best pass rushing ability from a nose guard. In fact, he was one of, like, I think he was one of the five most effective nose guards at uh, pass rushing last year, had one of the five most, uh, or highest grades, I should say, according to Pro Football Focus, when it came to interior pass rush. Rodas Johnson reportedly has won the other edge spot after spring ball. And then the only other returner on the defensive side, Trey, a guy that, that you're very high on, is Nick Herbig, an outside linebacker. The Badgers expect uh, to have one of the most talented linebacker rooms in the country to replace the losses from last season. And Nick is one of those guys that's really going to need to step up. One of the leading uh, tacklers for loss last season, on that Badgers team, Nick had nine sacks as a sophomore last year. Uh, he'll play opposite of CJ Goats on the other edge, uh, who's reportedly one of the best run-stopping linebackers on the team. So you've got a true pass rusher, you've got a true run-stopper. Uh, inside backers, a little bit more unknown. You'll, you'll hear Jordan Turner name a lot. He was quite efficient last year, played just 24 snaps because the other two inside linebacker spots were obviously well-spoken for with uh, Chanel and Sanborn, but in those 24 snaps, 
He made six tackles and collected two interceptions. So wow. kid's got some defensive talent. He'll get a chance to flash that as a starter this season. Three transfers come in to help Wisconsin replace uh, in their secondary. Jay Shaw of UCLA, Justin Clark of Toledo are two transfers coming in. They're expected to start on the outside uh, at cornerback. Uh, the Badgers' safeties could be real concern. There are a host of names up for the starting spot, but Ricardo Hallman and Cedric Dort Jr., who transfers in from Kentucky, they're supposed to maybe be the two front runners. But after 15 practices in a spring game, nothing has been decided at the, the safety position, according to all the reports that I've read. So unknown there. Floor and ceiling, bet uh, online put their over under at eight and a half. Secondary, certainly a concern for me, but the offense. It, it can't be worse than it was last year. It was nearly historically <laughs> bad last year. You know, very similar to what I expect with Nebraska, a little progression towards the meme. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that Wisconsin finishes this year at 10-2. and two. I do have them losing to Minnesota in the season finale to keep them out of the Big Ten championship game, but I think they could be right there. And you flip a coin, it goes the other way. Wisconsin very easily could be your Big Ten West uh, champion there. I think ten and two is their ceiling. The floor could be as low as seven and five if Michigan State and Nebraska find a way to beat the Badgers. Um, but I, I'm I'm pretty confident that you're going to see that offense take a step forward. Trey, if you'll hit the danger zone one more time for me. So weeks eleven through thirteen, you're at Iowa, at Nebraska, home against Minnesota to finish out the year. And as I've been teasing this whole episode. That literally could decide the Big Ten West right there. If Wisconsin runs the table, they might win the division championship if they find a way to lose to Nebraska or Minnesota. Depending on where those two teams are, you could literally have the spot in Indianapolis stamped you know, at or uh, on Thanksgiving, which is a, a ton of fun as, as a fan. Um, so anyway, lot to lot to digest there. Any just very quick thoughts on, on the Badgers from either one of you guys? I just want to see them get back to their bread and butter. Like they, they don't have to be a team that throws the ball 30 times a game to win. They don't have to be a team that runs 80 to 90 plays to win a lot of games. I just want to see them get back to their bread and butter. A lot of great offensive line play, a great running back and hitting teams with a play action. Graham Mertz has yeah. to be better, but that shouldn't be too much to ask in this division. And I think, I think you finally start to see that click for him this year. Yeah, I think once you get to the top end of college football, having stars matters. Uh, and Braylon Allen certainly passes that bar. I mean, he's a stud. We saw what he could do last year. And yeah, he got tired at times. But I think, like you were saying, being able to have another backup that can do anything with the football is good. So um, yeah, I think when you get to this end, having him is going to be key down the stretch, especially in some of those big road games where you just need to pick up a first down. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have him at 10 and two winning the division. Um, and I think that this is going to be a much better Wisconsin team than we saw last year. They're going to be fun to watch. Uh, they define kind of big 10 West football with that running game. You know, when their offense is, is clicking, uh, they can put up points and, and that defense is always solid as well. So, uh, Fellas, all the Big Ten teams previewed, done, dusted. Trey, you know, I we're running a little bit long here, but take us through kind of our consensus rankings very quickly, and then let's get to the superlatives as well to uh, to wrap this show. Yeah, so as we've teased a little bit, we actually had some interesting uh, results in that consensus ranking. So 
Wisconsin's going to come out on top, even though they only get uh, one first place vote uh, in the final consensus rankings. Minnesota is going to come in second, Iowa in third, Nebraska in fourth, Purdue in fifth, Northwestern in sixth, and Illinois bringing up the rear in seventh. I mean, I, I think that's, I think the, the middle tier certainly up for grabs, whether mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about that order, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, flip them or, or not. I think those are the two best teams in the division. Now, can Iowa sneak up there like they did last year? Sure, they could. Can Nebraska have a special season? Absolutely. But I, I think, I, I think Wisconsin and Minnesota are at least a little bit as far as talent wise goes, I think they're a little bit better than the rest of the teams in the division. Uh, Garrett though, sinking Minnesota's case, uh, not, not rowing the boat. That's why they, even though they got our votes for first in the division, a seven and five record from Garrett, right? Sinks them. I, I think I did forget to update that on the spreadsheet. I did officially lock in Wisconsin, but I forgot to update it at the top. So oh, I got you. I got yeah. You. So Wisconsin actually does have two first place votes okay. to Minnesota's one. That's why it looked weird. But you know what? I'll roll the boat. Yeah. That's fine. Keep. Yeah. I'll, sh- I'll shovel the coal. Uh, hey, it's going to be. I, I really do. They're both going to be one or two losses going into that last game, I think. And that's going to be must see TV. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's run through the superlatives very quickly here. And uh, we'll put a, a bow on this show, uh, starting with Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, pretty easy for me. I've got CJ Stroud, Ohio State quarterback. You could probably pick any of the main big three for Ohio state and feel pretty comfortable, but I'll go with the quarterback. Uh, ditto for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the quarterback. His name is a, uh, yeah. CJ Stroud. Yeah. Pretty good. I think CJ could win the Heisman this year. I know he's behind he's Bryce young technically in the, in the early, um, early odds, but I, there's no, there's no way Bryce young repeats, right? Like I, even, even if, even if Alabama does go on to win a national championship and go undefeated, there's so much talk about Will Anderson and, and other other players. I mean, Jameer Gibbs probably has a massive season. I just I don't think Young wins it again. So for me, CJ Stroud is my odds on favorite. Both of them could have split vote issues. Like you could definitely see multiple finalists from Ohio State as well. Sure. But that offense is just gonna have to probably put up so many points and they're going to easily put up a lot of points and it's not really going to probably matter with the defense, but the defense is going to need them to put up more points than Alabama's will. So that's the tiebreaker for me. Well, and I think Stroud's going to get the benefit of the resume and the recency, I think, because they'll probably be coming in off of a huge win over Michigan where they're both probably ranked top five. So it just, it's looking like it's going to be a little bit of recency bias and yeah, it'll be, that's what I think puts them over the top. Yeah. All right, so uh, defense. You want to move to defensive player of the year? Yep, yep, that works. All right, so for me, a defensive player of the year. Uh, Mitch kind of teased this earlier. I've got Nick Herbig, uh, the outside linebacker from Wisconsin, nine sacks last year. I think there's a legit chance with a lot of pass rushing talent from last year in the Big Ten moving on to the NFL. I think there's a legit chance he leads the um, leads the league in sacks um, from that spot in Wisconsin. And, you know, if he can pick up a turnover or two, I think there's a good shot that he gets those votes, especially if Wisconsin can get all the way to that Big Ten championship game. Yeah. 
Garrett and I have O'Shawn Mathis uh, both as our defensive player of the year on the mm-hmm. edge for the Cornhuskers. You know, when I was doing research on Nebraska, we're not alone. There's a lot of people that expect Nebraska to put up some gaudy sack numbers. Again, that schedule really lines up well for Nebraska. So as long as they execute and, and don't find ways to shoot themselves in the foot, they could have multiple players that lead the conference in sacks. And I just think, you know, let's let's go ahead and take maybe the most talented of that that group. Uh, and O'Shawn Mathis, I think there's a reason he chose Nebraska over Texas. Uh, mm. NIL aside, I think there's a chance that Nebraska takes a step forward here. Well, and he's going to feature and he's going to get a lot of better situations, like you were saying, to actually rack up some of those stats. And I think it's just going to be a real fun year to watch him. Yeah. Uh, Trey, we've got... Nebraska, Garrett and I do as our most improved. You've got Indiana. Yeah, and you know, we talked about this on the last episode, so I won't get too into it. I'm not sure that Indiana necessarily makes a bowl, but they were just so bad last year that I think they will look a lot better this year, and Hoosier fans will be more optimistic coming out of this year. So they get my nod as most improved. I love Tom Allen as a head coach, uh, and I love their uniforms as well. Some sneaky drip out in Bloomington. So shout out the Hoosiers. Uh, Conference championship, we've all got the same team winning. Surprise, surprise, Ohio State. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I've got Ohio State over Minnesota, as you guys uh, kind of hinted at earlier. You both are picking the Buckeyes over Wisconsin. It, you know, I mean, we're going to get to it in the, in, in the preview show uh, as far as playoff picks. Where where would you guys say that Ohio State goes in the playoffs seeded? Number one. It says number one. Yeah, I think yeah. they're probably just number one with, uh, again, the recency. They're going to have the big wins late. It'll be one of those where maybe, you know, if Alabama is also undefeated, they'll be number one. Ohio State's number two. But after that last game, you know, beating a Michigan team that I think is going to be really, really good. I think is going to give them that ability to bump up on selection Sunday. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think, I think probably two uh, in the way that I've drawn it up. I think Alabama is poised for a Herculean season. So I, I think I agree with <laughs> They're gonna be good. Yeah. If, if Bama doesn't trip up against an Auburn, uh, I truly think that, that Alabama might, you know, go run the table, be, be the national champion. They've got so much talent on that roster, but SEC previews coming in a couple weeks, so stay tuned. Gentlemen, fun as always. Uh, I, I think we continue to set longest episode records, uh, but you know that's that's how much research we put into it. Like I said, we're staring at you know 23 pages or something like that for this preview, so uh, a lot of information to get to. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, head on over to Spotify and Apple. Leave us uh, a rating. Um, obviously, we would hope that it would be a five-star rating, but let us know. Leave us some feedback. You can also find our socials at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter or right into the show, 3TechPod at gmail.com as well. Big 12 is up next. We head back to our neck of the woods here in uh, kind of the central southern part of the United States. Really, really excited to get to that. That first episode for the Big 12 will go out uh, next Monday. We're also going to have a news episode coming out relatively soon. There's a lot that's going on with media days, recruiting, NIL stuff. So we'll break all that down. That's probably an episode coming next week. And Garrett has an episode, uh, I believe should drop Saturday morning. Uh, so, yeah. for confirmation here. He's nodding at me. Uh, Saturday morning, Garrett has a special guest coming as well. So a lot of content headed your way. Um, and again, we would just appreciate a, a rating, maybe a, a comment or two. Let us know what you think 
as well. For Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening to the Big Ten Preview. Until next time, so long, everybody.